Hey there, welcome back to the podcast. I'm producer Ash, and this is true. Sorry for missing a week. Uh, we've been dealing with some technical difficulties here in La La Land, and that's also why this sounds different. We're just recording on a laptop, like the pilgrims used to back in the day. Um, but I'm here with James. James is here. Hi, James. Hi. He's got chili mangoes. He's ready to rock. I did. I do. I did and I do. I got chili mangoes from Laurel Canyon Country Store. Cute. Well, sorry if it sounds tinny. We're doing our best. This is the last episode like this, right? Uh, this one and the next week's one. because we're recording them back to back because oh. we're efficient. Behind the scenes. Yeah. Today we're talking about the Hollywood land sign, which is something we can see from basically almost where we're staying right now. Mm-hmm. So... These days, we tend to associate the Hollywood sign with the U.S. film and entertainment industry rather than just a neighborhood. It's become a monument to the industry and a major Los Angeles landmark, but it was never intended to be. It was erected (laughs) as a real estate ad for the Hollywood land development. Since then, it has seen the rise of the entertainment industry, the sprawl of Los Angeles, economic ups and downs, senseless tragedy, glamour, pranks, and near total ruin on several occasions before securing itself as a permanent historical landmark. Let's go back in time. And by the way, this information comes directly from the horse's mouth itself. This is from the hollywoodsign.org. And this is their timeline of the history of the sign. Okay. 1887, the Western Frontier. Before Hollywood became the world's entertainment mecca, it resembled other Western frontiers, a landscape of farmers, cowboys, prospectors, bandits, and mostly undeveloped land. All land north of Sunset Boulevard, for example, was considered useless for anything but grazing. With more and more Easterners drawn by the promise of sunny skies and mild, dry weather, the area's bedrock industry, real estate, soon kicked into high gear. Subdivisions begat more subdivisions, and by the end of the 19th century, Hollywood was taking on the contours of a recognizable town. Then, in 1887, Mrs. Wilcox, wife of town founder Harvey Wilcox, met a woman on a train trip who spoke about her Florida summer home, which she had named Hollywood. And Mrs. Wilcox was so struck by that name that she suggested it to her husband, and the rest is history. Oh, I had no idea. Now, the area was mostly quiet until 1907, when bad weather drove a small Chicago film company westward to complete their shoot on time. The first real studio, Nestor Film Company, soon followed from New Jersey, cranking out three pictures a week, one Western, one Eastern, and one comedy. I don't know what an Eastern would be. I guess... An Eastern? Yeah. Well, we know what a Western is. Uh, Yeah, I guess it's like the city version of of a movie. Interesting. I've never heard that term. And then by 1912, word got out that Hollywood had an ideal climate and landscape for shooting films. And in no time, at least 15 independent studios were shooting up all around town. Old barns were turned into sound stages and Hollywood's quiet pastoral era was over. It's hard to imagine this area being a quiet pastoral area. I think I mentioned a few episodes back, I believe on this show, maybe Disney Independent, that I was looking at an, a map of the Los Angeles area from this re, this time period you're talking about, 
till now. And like the evolution of the map and the evolution of the population and the buildings. And it's, it's remarkable how much has been built up in such a short amount of time. Yeah. And converted and retrofitted and transformed. So by 1915, America was officially film crazed. Hopeful actors and actresses filled the streets of Hollywood, eager for the new American dream, silver screen stardom. Film studios popped up like weeds and fought one another for survival. Along the way, many of those independent companies merged, forming those big studios that we've come to know. By 1920, 40 million Americans were going to the movie theater every week. And then during the 20s, a whimsical skyline of movie-set-inspired hotels and apartments rose along the major Los Angeles boulevards. Mm. To accompany this development, fancy new restaurants and nightclubs emerged, and of course, those extravagant, iconic movie palaces completed the Hollywood landscape. Then in 1923, the Hollywood Land sign was erected by Los Angeles Times publisher Harry Chandler as an epic $21,000 billboard advertisement specifically built for his upscale Hollywood land real estate development. And this billboard was massive. Each of the original 13 letters was 30 feet wide by 43 feet tall, constructed, by, uh, constructed from three foot by nine foot metal squares, jerry-rigged together by an intricate frame of scaffolding, pipes, wires, and telephone poles. All of this material had to be hauled up the treacherous hillside by laborers on simple dirt paths. The sign featured 4,000 20-watt bulbs, which at night blinked out into the Hollywood sky. First holly, then wood, and then finally land, punctuated by a giant period at the end. Wow. The effect was really something else. The sign was originally intended to last just a year and a half. Instead, it's endured over a century so far. But... When Japan attacked Pearl Harbor in 1941, Hollywood mobilized to become a full-time war industry, much like the rest of the United States. Studio trucks were turned into transport vehicles for troops. Uh, stars like Clark Gable and Jimmy Stewart quickly enlisted in the armed forces, and patriotic propaganda dominated the silver screens. The war also had an effect on the creative choices of the era, with studios opting for more simple psychodramas and film noir rather than the expensive spectacles of decades past. Between the distraction of the war and the Great Depression's financial impact on Hollywood's real estate scene, the sign fell into disrepair, having been neglected for years. Finally, the city itself quietly acquired the sign and began to debate what to do with essentially a giant billboard. The original idea in 1949 was to just tear it down altogether. But by then, it had become such a fixture in town that the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce decided to take over maintenance and ownership of it. They made the desperately needed repairs, but cut the last four letters, land, changing it to just Hollywood to stop it referencing that one specific housing development. What year is this now? Uh, 1949. Okay. So then it just kind of sat there as it was for a while. It was built in 1923. Now it's dilapidated in 1949. It was dilapidated by the by 41. Okay. So by, by the end of that decade, it kind of just sat in its 
somewhat permanent state. But during the 60s, Hollywood suffered through a mass exodus of residents to the suburbs of the San Fernando Valley. Even the film studios were inching outward into the valley, giving them more room for larger sound stages and permanent sets for a lower cost than Hollywood proper. By 1970, Paramount was the only studio left in town. In the void left by this mass exodus of industry, Hollywood became overrun with adult theaters and other seedy elements that came with them, like massage parlors, porn shows, adult bookstores, etc. Crime soared, and the town's iconic boulevards were ravaged by the urban decay that marked most U.S. cities during that period. Meanwhile, by the end of the turbulent 60s, Hollywood's once proud sign sat once again, rusting, dilapidated, and beginning to crumble under its own weight. In 1973, the City of Los Angeles Cultural Heritage Board gave the sign its official landmark status, but the ensuing ceremony, which was meant to herald a, a, a glorious new era for the sign, this ceremony was blanketed in the thick fog which ruined the event. Perhaps it was an omen of the dark days ahead. During the 70s, as Hollywood continued to decline, the top of the D and the entire third O toppled down the mountain, and an arsonist set fire to the bottom of the second L. Wow. I'm reading about the 1970s era right now. It's pretty interesting how many donors there were. Yeah, and we're right about to get to that, too. Cool. Um, adding insult to injury... Pranksters began to mess with the letters. At various times, it has been changed to read Hollyweed mm. by cannabis enthusiasts. Uh, Hollywood, in commemoration mm. of Pope John Paul II's visit. Oil War, in protest of the Persian Gulf War. And Perot Wood, when Ross Perot ran for president. It's really hard to get to. Yeah, now it is. It was it's, not for a while. Yeah, it's it's almost impossible. I mean, it's not impossible, but it's really hard for people to get to today. I mean, there's there's a couple of canyons you can hike to and see, like where we went to the Hollywood Reservoir. That's a good location to go see it. Um, but yeah, they intentionally make it hard to get to now. Well, in 1978, the letters were all completely torn down and rebuilt thanks to a fundraiser from Playboy's Hugh Hefner, <laughs> where he got his famous friends together to each sponsor a letter at $27,777 each. Wow. In Hef 78. In 78. Jeez. Hefner himself paid for the Y. Alice Cooper paid for an O, etc., etc. Um, read a few more. There's Gene Autry, yep. who's a, a, a really important figure in Los Angeles. He was the first owner of the Los Angeles Angels, now in Anaheim. Uh, we just went to the Gene Autry Museum of the American West or something like that. And yeah, he's one of the few, like Walt Disney, Gene Autry, all these original people that came out here in the 20s. He's very important out here. Um, so the rebuild of the sign was kind of a sign of a greater Hollywood comeback. A couple years later, in 1980, a $90 million federal grant enabled Hollywood to launch a slew of redevelopment projects. Then, in 1989, Disney Studios began a museum-grade rehabilitation of the nearby El Capitan Theater, and over the next decade, part of the Egyptian was restored to its glory, 
and the Roosevelt Hotel and Pantages Theater received well-deserved makeovers. On December 31, 1999, the sign was the site of the West Coast's highest-profile Y2K celebration, hmm. ringing in the new millennium with a dazzling display of lights and special effects. The sign was featured alongside the Eiffel Tower, the Great Pyramids of Egypt, and New York's Times Square during this global millennium countdown TV coverage. In 2000, the Hollywood Sign Trust hired Panasonic to install a much-needed state-of-the-art security system, providing 24-7 protection that was further upgraded in 2005. In 2010, 32 years after the sign was rebuilt, there was a Save the Peak fundraising effort to purchase and protect the 138 endangered acres behind the Hollywood Sign. Um, contributors included Hugh Hefner again, the Tiffany Foundation, and Eileen Getty. Um, there was there were plans to build houses and things behind the sign, which would have totally ruined the facade and the whole purpose of keeping it. I always thought it was interesting that they have the cell phone tower right there. Yeah. I always thought it was really ugly. Yeah, That's, it's like this the, one of the most iconic signs on the planet. And right behind it is that stupid tower. Yeah. And yet it's still really hard to get reception in most of L.A. (laughs) So that's possible. That's possible. Um, In 2013, in preparation for the sign's 90th anniversary, Sherwin-Williams gave the sign a 10-week-long facelift, including a special eco-friendly, long-lasting, emerald exterior acrylic latex paint. This year... 2023, the Hollywood Sign Trust, which manages the monument, are going to launch a centenary celebration using the landmark's 100th birthday to hopefully raise funds for an official visitor center complete with lecture halls, a movie theater, museum, gift shop, and maybe even bathrooms, Mm -hmm. um, something that sign visitors have been asking for for a long time. But the current inaccessibility of the sign, and it is very inaccessible, you have to put in some effort. Mm. Uh, the inaccessibility does have an upside, though, because the area around those letters has remained a little patch of wild earth in the middle of the city, a sanctuary for deer, foxes, coyotes, even the city's celebrity mountain lions like mm-hmm. P-22, rest in peace. On the steep dirt slope around the sign, it's so quiet that it's almost possible to hear the sun beating or the flick of shadows from birds overhead. According to the Trust's PR rep, quote, For some reason, the crows and hawks are always circling by the letters. The gusts of wind must be fun to ride. I hope it always stays like that. I, I would be really unfortunate if they put a tourist center up there, built it up, stupid bathrooms and crowds. There's enough of that in L.A. I'm with you. It, it's already, like, if you want to get there, it's hard, but you can do it. And if there's more people up there, there's just going to be more trash. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, it's beautiful. Like, from the Hollywood Reservoir that we just walked around, which I highly recommend, it's, you know, the, the that area is a good reminder of how wild and Western this place felt back in the day. You're in the middle of a forest. You're in the middle of, you know, big ponderosa pine trees and, and a lake. Yes, it's a, it's a man-made lake, but it, it is a real wild lake. It's not a concrete yeah, or anything. we saw a turtle. We saw turtles swimming across. There's fish. There's yeah, and like, um, yeah. I don't know. It's it's just a beautiful sight to look at. And if it had a stupid tourist center next to the sign, it would suck. Yeah. 
Well, this was your general overview of the history of the Hollywood Land sign. Next week, we'll cover a few super interesting stories that really showcase moments in time for those who were living their lives encircling this iconic LA landmark. So, stay tuned. My sources for this episode were hollywoodsign.org, Refinery29, and The Guardian. Thanks for joining, and we'll see you again next week.